pray for pray with me god we thank you um first off for our roof and for our basement being taken care of thank you for blessing us in that way and god we thank you for the freedom that we have to meet together today to sing and to share and uh, to pray with each other and proclaim your word it's a blessing that we often take for granted right now we come to you on behalf of our brothers and sisters around the world that do not have that same freedom and we ask that you would strengthen them and give them the courage to meet in spite of whatever dangers that they might face in doing so protect them and enable them to gather together to worship please encourage your church around the world today especially those who are taking the gospel to people who have not yet heard it know that there's billions around the globe who have not yet heard the good news of your son jesus christ and the salvation that is found in him alone so we ask that you would raise up believers and send them out to carry the good news and holy spirit we ask that you would encourage our our brothers and sisters in belize today uh, phil pastor smith and pastor ed and and others as they share your word with their congregations we ask that you would send revival through that country and call many to jesus and we ask for the same thing here in our community there's so much hurt and pain and anger and chaos and there is only one solution we cannot save ourselves and answers are not found in ourselves we need you jesus and so we ask that you would come quickly and jesus we thank you for your word that you have given us thank you for these letters to the churches and revelation and we ask that as we study this text together you would speak to us reveal to us the things in our lives that we have valued over you encourage us and rebuke us jesus we want to be the church that you have called us to be we want to be obedient and we want to love you and we want to be faithful witnesses help us to grow this morning and speak now amen so it's been a, a little while since i've been up here to preach a sermon but i'm going to continue going through the book of revelation um, we started back in january we're going through the seven letters to the seven churches so as i i said then i believe that these letters are important for us today and that we need to look at each one of them and see what sticks to us uh, what sticks to us corporately as a church and what sticks to us individually as members that make up the church as a whole so while we read this letter today we're going to ask god to reveal to us more of himself and what he wants our church to see in this letter so we left off in chapter two um, having finished the first seven verses so we're going to read verses 8 through 11 today. That is going to be our text. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These are the words of him who is first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. So this letter uh, is a letter to the church in Smyrna. And it says, And Smyrna at the time was one of the most beautiful cities in all of Asia. It was a very wealthy city. Uh, but, like, but like many wealthy cities, there were a lot um, who lived in poverty. Polycarp, um, a well-known early church father, was the bishop of the church in Smyrna not too long after this letter was written. So, this is to the church in Smyrna, and these are the words of Jesus. Jesus, who is God, the first and the last, the one who died and came to life again. And he's saying, Hey, I am not dead. I am alive. Jesus is alive. He is the living Savior. And it's important for this church to hear because of what they were facing. Um, They were facing death. That's what they were facing right here. But knowing that they have a living Savior who had conquered death was a reassuring thing for them to hear. Because Jesus was completely beyond the reach of death. He could give assurance to them that he does the assurance that he does in verse 11. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. And then in verse 9, Jesus, just as in the last letter, he tells them that he knows what they're going through. He knows their works. He knows their afflictions. The Greek uh, word here for afflictions can be translated tribulation or trouble or anguish or persecution or burden or affliction. So basically... They're going through very hard things, and they are suffering. That's the condition of this church right now. And Jesus, who loves them as his bride, he knows what they're going through. And he also knows that they are poor, at least in the eyes of the world. Poverty was not an uncommon thing amongst Christians at the time, but this is the only church in these letters to whom Jesus mentions poverty in particular suggesting that for whatever reason, they were especially poor among believers. And poverty in that time uh, was different than poverty here in America today. Those believers had very little, if anything, to their name. So these believers, who had almost nothing, lived in an extremely wealthy and beautiful city. And the context in history here suggests that it probably cost them dearly to follow Jesus. So they were not poor because of their circumstances or their nationality or their family. They were poor because they decided to follow Jesus. Following Jesus cost them. And so yet, even being extremely poor in the eyes of the world, Jesus tells them, I know your poverty, yet you are rich. What does he mean? He's not saying you're rich in the world's goods, obviously, because they were not talking about being rich in the grace and favor of God. Being poor may often be a hindrance to receiving the blessings of man, but it is not the same with God. It is not so with God. So whatever sorrow or sadness that existed with them being in poverty, hearing their Savior and their King Jesus say, I know you're poor, but actually you're rich, takes the edge off of that. It reorients them where they need to be. It reminds them that they are rich in what really matters, rich in love from God. So, as an encouragement for us, church, 
financial prosperity does not equal love or blessings from God. It does not. Though he may choose to prosper us financially at times for his good purposes, being poor is not a sign that we are not loved or that we are not blessed. And continuing in verse 9 here, um, one of the things that contributed to them being poor was fierce opposition from the Jewish people in the city. It says, the slander of those who say they are Jews but are not. What does that mean? If, if you look at Romans chapter 2, in verse 28, it says, A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by written code. So a man is not a Jew because he is one outwardly. It's because he's one inwardly. So Jesus uh, is saying those Jews here, they are not followers of God. They were actually followers of Satan. Jesus says they're from the synagogue of Satan. So they claimed to be true followers of God while persecuting and maligning those who really followed him. So Jesus is saying they're not even worthy of being called Jews. They're not even worthy of being called Jews. Jesus calls it slander that they call themselves that. So we don't know why the Jews in Smyrna were more hostile than normal to Christians. That's not clear in the text. But it does seem that they were. They were some of the most bitter enemies of Christians. And they had a lot of power in this city. So Polycarp, who we mentioned earlier, he was actually martyred in Smyrna um, with the Jews leading the charge. It is said that they rushed uh, to get fuel to burn him at the stake, but that his body would not burn. So they proceeded to stab him to death. Um, so being a Christian in Smyrna was not an easy task. They were opposed by the government, they were persecuted by the Jews, and they were very poor. So with all of this in mind, the words of Jesus saying, Hey, I know your poverty, I see your afflictions. But you are rich. It's flipping, flipping the world upside down for them. Um, but it brings comfort when you reorient yourself. And then in verse 10, the next verse is a little bit scary. Jesus tells them, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Which, of course, somebody says that means they're about to tell you something scary and frightening, right? Um, so Jesus says, do not be afraid. Of what you are about to suffer. So if we think about this for a moment. They were already suffering. Right? They were already suffering. It's not like they had a cushy life. They are living the dream. Or even things were a little hard. But not too bad. They're suffering. They're poor. And Jesus says don't be afraid. You're about to suffer. So more is coming. Jesus already told them he knows about their afflictions and poverty. But you are about to suffer more. How would you like to hear that? <laughs> like, no, that's not really what you're wanting to, he to hear. Um, but that's what he said. He says there is more coming. Jesus tells them they're going to be thrown in prison by the devil. And as in the devil is behind it, instigating the hearts of men who are throwing them into prison. So it's going to be a dark and it's going to be a difficult time. And then he says it is to test you. And that makes us think of Job, right? God permitted Satan to test Job. 
so to speak, and we know that testing and trials are permitted. You could even say orchestrated by God. He is sovereign. And the point of testing is what? To see if something is genuine. Was this church's faith in Jesus genuine? Their faith was about to be tested. But Jesus tells them it is not going to be a long test. He says that they'll suffer persecution for 10 days. Whether or not it actually meant 10 days, we we can't be sure. But given the nature of Revelation and how numbers are used, um, the common thought is that 10 days means a short time. So they're going to suffer, they're going to be persecuted, but it will be for a short time. And Jesus um, tells them that they're going to face this. It's not going to last forever. There's an end in sight. And with that in mind, he tells them to be faithful. Do not give up your faith in me, he says, even to the point of death. He's telling some of them that they are going to face death for him. This suffering was going to lead to the end of their life here on earth for some of this church. The affliction was going to be brief, but it would lead to the death of some of the church. But for those who were faithful, what is waiting for them? It says, the crown of life. Now, we aren't going through this life looking for, like, an actual golden crown that I'm going to put on my head, okay? Um, if we are, if we're seeking riches in this world, we're, we're not seeking Jesus. We want to meet him one day in heaven and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, and then we're given that crown of life there. That's what we want. So the suffering that they were facing was going to seem like a light and momentary affliction compared to the glory that awaited them. The glory that awaits us if we are faithful and we endure. So in verse 11, Jesus says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He says, hear this, your suffering, it will be brief. I see your poverty, I see your afflictions, the things you're going to suffer for my name, I see your pain, I see your misery. The world might think you're poor, but you are actually rich. You have received every spiritual blessing there is in Christ, and you've been adopted as children of the Most High God. Be faithful till the end, even unto death, and those who overcome and are faithful have nothing to be afraid of. They will not be hurt by the second death. So it's a reminder here, this world, reminder for us, this world is temporary. Eternity awaits us. Everybody here is going to die someday. We cannot escape that. Some of us might die quiet deaths. Some of us might die painful deaths. And some of us may die at the hands of those who hate Jesus. But all will die. Hebrews 9.27 says, Man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. So there's judgment coming for everyone. And there's, there's two options, two outcomes. You have heaven and you have hell. Hebrews continues in verse 28, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Jesus will bring salvation to those who are waiting for him, those who are faithful, even to the end, even in the face of death, we will receive eternal salvation, eternity in heaven. And we won't be hurt by the second death. We will not taste hell. And for those who are not faithful, those whose faith 
is shown to be not genuine, the second death does await. Not just in this life, but eternity in hell, suffering far beyond anything we could imagine. And so if you have not put your trust in Jesus today, I encourage you to do that. So some things we should take away from these these last two verses here. For one, here and, and in Scripture, there is no exemption from suffering in the Christian life. We must realize and embrace this. Some of you might be like, I'm experiencing suffering right now. I can testify to that. I put my hope in Christ and I've still experienced it. It's affirmed in Scripture. James chapter 1 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Not if, but when. 1 Peter 4, Do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as if something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Suffering is a part of the Christian's life. And this flies in the face of... um, the prosperity gospel, which is extremely popular in America especially, but even overseas. Like, how does a, a prosperity gospel speak to this church that's in suffering and affliction? Say, give a little more and God will bless you? Like, that does not work. Would they tell them, oh, you must be doing something wrong, otherwise you would be rich and happy? You, you can't do that. that. That's not here. Jesus does not tell them that. Jesus tells them they will suffer. That's what Jesus says. Not because they aren't giving enough, not because they're thinking negative thoughts, not because they're not sowing the right seeds. They're going to suffer for His name. They're suffering because of Him. They're suffering because people hate Jesus. Suffering is a part of the Christian life. Some of you in here may be suffering. Jesus suffered. Paul suffered. The disciples suffered, and the church in Smyrna here suffered many afflictions, poverty, and persecution, and many of them were martyred, including one of their leaders. So my friends, suffering is a part of the life of a follower of Jesus. So to to wrap up these these three verses here this morning, um, at this moment, it may be difficult to fully identify with the church in Smyrna. Even those of us who are struggling financially are not in the same place that most of these believers were that we read about. But many of us have had to suffer and may be suffering in various ways, and there probably will be suffering ahead for you in your life. But let us remember what Jesus says when we struggle financially, when we suffer things for his name. He says, one, here, you are actually rich. Okay, we should not be concerned about our wealth In the eyes of the world, Jesus has given us a wealth of spiritual blessings. And his love for us is vast and is more important than anything that this world has to offer. Two, the Bible says it a lot, do not be afraid. In Hebrews chapter 13, it addresses money and fear in these two verses. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? So we should not be afraid when we 
face financial difficulties, affliction, or persecution. Because God will never leave us. And He will never forsake us. And we've lived that out here in the church with, you know, the way that He has provided things for us that we, we haven't been able to afford. But we need to remember we're talking about when we say God will never leave us or forsake us, we're talking about an all-powerful, all-just, all-loving, all-knowing God. That's, that's who's never going to forsake us. This is the God who will not leave us or forsake us. Thirdly, what awaits us if we are faithful? The crown of life. Heaven. Heaven is waiting for us. Too often we forget that here. We get distracted. But there is no better hope than that, that we get to be with our Savior Jesus, with God, away from sin, no more crying or pain. If you haven't read it in a while, read Revelation 21 and 22 today. Beautiful things await for us. Um, Someone recently told me that as things in our world and here in America have gotten crazy and worse recently, they've started to see how much trust they had put in the world to be comforted without even realizing it. They didn't realize it until the past few months. And now that they're seeing it, they see it does not stand up. And as hard as it may be, they're thankful for the realization that they can't put their trust in the things that they're putting them in. And that is, that is so true. Um, as we're wrapping up, with some final things here. I'm going to have the worship team come back up. Um, I don't know what the future holds for America. And while it has had plenty of dark periods and plenty of things that mar its past and present, America has been one of the greatest and freest countries that has ever existed in many ways. And the freedom that people have experienced in this country, uh, the the religious freedom that the church has had here, is unparalleled. And it's something that I've been very thankful for and we should continue to be thankful for. The ability to meet together and worship free from persecution just this very morning that many, many around the world face. We don't, we don't have to deal with that and it is a blessing. In many senses, we have had it much easier than any other church in the rest of the world or throughout history. But... This might tempt us to put our hope in some other place. Our hope is not in America, church. Our hope is not in America. It is not in this country. It is not in our government. It is in Jesus Christ, our Savior. He is where the hope of Christians belong. In Jesus we find comfort. In Jesus we find peace. In Jesus we find life. And there is no other name by which we can be saved. So if our future holds more freedom... Praise God. That is awesome. Let's not take it for granted and waste it. I feel that we have largely squandered our freedom in a lot of ways. So let's do something with it and use that freedom to proclaim the gospel of Jesus and worship our God. May we use it to bring Him glory and not to indulge in our selfish desires. And if our future holds suffering and persecution and the erosions of our freedoms, so be it. God's sovereignty has not been thwarted. Our salvation is still secure, and we need to believe this and set our hope on Christ.
if you look at what the church here in Smyrna was enduring, suffering to the point of death, Jesus did not tell them, if it gets bad, get out. He didn't say, if your life's in danger, you don't need to be faithful. He didn't say, you can give up meeting together, it's too dangerous, you don't need to share the gospel. That is not what Jesus said. He didn't say, I know they don't like Christians in Smyrna, and since it's hard, you only have to follow some of my commands. He told them to be faithful in suffering, even unto death. That is what Jesus said. And when I look at what has happened and is still happening in our country and the world, I have to ask myself, are we ready for the kind of persecution that this church went through? It didn't take much at all for churches across the country to shut down this year and to stay shut down for a long time. And I'm not saying that there is not a cause for caution for a time and that uh, maybe a cause to pause physical meeting for a short time as we didn't know a lot about what was going on. And I know there are people that are more at risk than others. I'm I'm not saying that those things aren't true. But it has been frightening to me how easily the church in America has been more willing than not to stop meeting together for extended periods of time. Prudence and wisdom is important. But meeting together is important too. And the church in Smyrna here, you know, valued faithfulness to Jesus over safety. And I know there's prudence in there we've got to figure out. But I pray that when the time comes, if we face suffering, if we face persecution, that we will be found faithful to Jesus. If it was made illegal for us to meet together and worship for whatever reason, would the church keep meeting? If we face persecution and suffering, the loss of our jobs and income because of our faith, would we hold on to it or do we bow to those who demand it? Would we forsake meeting together? Would we stop talking to people about Jesus? As it is, we have a hard time doing that, and it doesn't really cost us much. So, if our hope is set on this world, our possessions, the government, our comforts, our safeties, we will not end up weathering persecution well. If our hope is set on Jesus, then they can take our stuff, they can take our jobs, they can take our money, they can put us in danger, cause suffering, threaten our lives, and we will endure. So my prayer is that we would be found faithful, church. And in this moment, um, when we may feel like there's a whole lot upon us, um, I was reading Jeremiah the other day, and chapter 12, it says, if you have run with the footmen and they have tired you out, then how can you compete with the horses? If you fall down in the land of peace, how will you do in the thicket of Jordan? It's basically saying harder things are coming. And if you're worn out from what you're facing now, how are you going to be able to handle what is to come? So my encouragement is we better start training ourselves and setting our hope on Jesus now. We have to put our hope in him now. Be ready for whatever does come. So as, as we get ready to wrap up, my encouragements this morning are, are actually pretty simple. One, think and pray and ask the Lord to reveal to you where you have set your hope. 
And if it's anywhere but on him, repent. And two, if we're going to be strong in our faith, we need to know God. We need to know his word. I don't know if anyone here has read Psalm 119 lately, um, but if you read it, you know what you see? You see from the psalmist a longing, a love for, a, a strong desire to know God and his word. He wants so badly to know God and his word and to be faithful. And so that's why this week I encourage the church and our online devotional and IGY, our youth group, on Wednesday night. Encourage them to join me for the next three weeks or so in praying one eight-verse section of Psalm 119 every day of a prayer for you. And if you do that, I believe that God is going to give you a hunger for his word and a hunger to know him. So I encourage you to do that. So church, let us heed this word here to the church in Smyrna from Jesus. If suffering or persecution or anything else comes in our future, may we be found faithful. Let us not walk in fear, but in faith. Truly, the worst that can come just shortens our journey and hastens us home. So don't be afraid of whatever it is that lies ahead. And may this time we are living in reveal to us where we put our hope. And if we find we're putting it anywhere else besides Jesus' church, may we repent and cry out to him and ask him to open the eyes of our hearts that we may see that he really is better than anything else. So to close, I'm going to invite everyone to um, sing a song that we learned last week called Jesus is Better, just to set our, our hearts in the right spot. Jesus, we ask that you would reveal to us this morning where we have put our hope. And if we have put our hope anywhere but you, show us and help us to repent. You are the Lord of all, above our government and above everything else in the world. We have no other king. Help us to remember this, Jesus. You are better. You are better than anything in this world, better than riches, better than the approval of others, better than the biggest homes and the best jobs. Help our hearts to believe this. And whatever comes, Jesus, whatever our future holds, help us hold on to you. In the midst of freedom or in the midst of suffering and sorrow and persecution, help us to be faithful even to the point of death. So we ask you to speak to our hearts now as we sing and help us believe Jesus. Amen.